Good morning. It is good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be opening up with me to Matthew uh, chapter 10. We're going to start reading in the 34th verse. This, the, the thought that I want us to have this morning is to lose and to gain. There, there are certain things that we're going to have to lose if we are to gain some certain things. And there are some certain things that we're going to have to gain to lose some things. This is hopefully going to come to light a little bit later in this lesson. But think of this. To gain eternity, we have to lose the world. I hope that sinks in. And at the, uh, all the visitations that I've, I've been to, and the lost loved ones that we've been to, and, and we, we know that they're, they're no longer here with us. They've gone on to their reward. But Christ offers us something wonderful. He offers something better than just eternity. He offers us eternity in heaven with his Father. So as we think about uh, the, the life that we live and the examples that we've set before us, and what type of person are we? We need to ask ourselves this question. For Christ is going to say some kind of disturbing words, as he does from time to time, but he's trying to teach a lesson. He's trying to teach the hardships of the obedience to the gospel. For you and I, it extends even into this day. For as we see that that we can't go along and condone the things that are happening in our in our families' lives and our in our in our friends' lives. We can't go along with those things anymore. Christ is going to say these very things. So as we have turned to Matthew chapter ten and verse thirty-four, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Let's stop there in the 38th verse before we read verse 39. You notice what Christ says in the beginning of this Actually, in the middle of the statement in verse 34, he says, I did not, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. For when Christ walked this earth, it was a violent time. And that violence was even extended to our Lord and Savior. And even after Christ left, ascended into heaven, that violence continued on even unto this day. Christ didn't come to bring peace upon this earth. He didn't come to delete it. He didn't come to remove it at all. He showed us how to live here upon this earth to be obedient to a, a, a Holy Father's commands to be granted access into heaven on that great day. I want us to let that thought sink in. Being a child of God does not automatically grant access to peace. It doesn't. We're going to have turmoils. We're going to have strife. Look at the first century. Look at what the disciples went through. Look at the actions of Paul. Previous to that was Saul. What did he do? He thought he was, he was glorifying God and the acts that he was doing, he wasn't. He was persecuting Christ. He was dragging Christians off to jail. He was dragging disciples of Christ off to be executed. He was killing them. He even consented to the death of Stephen as he was holding the, co holding the coats of those of the Sanhedrin court. 
That was Saul. Was Saul. When we think about who Paul is, he made a complete change. Many times in my ministry, I think, you know, what if Christ had the same encounter with every single person who chooses to obey him, the same as Saul? At the time, it was, he was Saul. When he shone that light onto him on that road to Damascus and spoke to him. Remember that? And it was without refute. He could not rebuke it. He could not dispute what was happening. And he was blinded. He received his sight a little bit later. He received instructions from his fellow brethren. And he was able to teach the word in its entirety. And he was Christ's chosen vessel to the Gentiles. The same man who was killing disciples of Christ. A complete change. So when Christ says, I did not come to this earth to be peace upon the earth, don't think that. Don't think it. But I came into the world to bring a sword. What's the purpose of a sword? You know what the purpose of it? It's an offensive weapon. Typically, it would have been used to kill folks. That's not what Christ is talking about. No, no. This sword is to combat the devil. This sword is the word of God. He come to bring instruction from the Father. Throughout his entire ministry, he was teaching the kingdom of God. Yes, he was helping people, performing wonderful miracles. And I know the one, the, the one miracle that, that's, that's kind of iffy. So why did he do that? Because his mother asked him to, turning water to wine. He was helping his mother. She was in that uh, preparing of that wedding feast, and they was about to run out of wine. She says, what are we going to do? She says, I got this, in a matter of speaking. He commanded those water pots to be filled with water, and he turned them to wine to help his mother. But then we see his other miracles all the way through his ministry about healing the sick, making the blind to see, the lame to walk. Why did he do these things? To show that he was from God. To bring this sword, this instruction, to say this is what you must do to be obedient to a heavenly father. And following those instructions when we're heeding the instructions from Jesus. What is that going to do to our households in verse 35? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There's going to be divisions in the household. It happened then. It's happening to this day. Now, in this country, we don't cast our children out for being obedient to the gospel, to becoming a Christian. We don't do that. In India, they do. They do. I was having a, it was, it was a few years back, and I was having a, a, a chat with my friend Robbie, and he was interested in what I was teaching. And he said, yeah, well, there was a young lady back in India, uh, one of his relatives, who, uh, who became a Christian. And her parents kicked her out of the house. I'm here to set a mother against her daughter and a son against the father. Why? Because we can't condone sin. 
We cannot do it. Men as the leaders, or the head, the head of the household rather, cannot condone sin in our household. We can't do it. We can't allow it to happen. We have to instruct it. We have to speak against it. We have to not allow it to continue. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There are going to be contentions. There are going to be arguments. There's going to be disputes. There's going to be because those who are not going to heed to it ain't going to heed to it. Not going to be obedient to it. They're, they're, they're not going to fully comprehend it. They're not going to come to the knowledge of it. They're not. Jesus knew that. He says, but those of that household adhere to it. Guess what you have become? <coughs> Verse 36 says, And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. But notice this. As a child of God, what must we do to our enemies? Cast them out? No. Kick them to the curb? No. Be harsh to them? No. If our enemy is hungry of our same household, if our enemy is hungry, we feed them. If our enemy is thirsty, we give them drink. We pray for our enemies. In doing so, what has been told? We will heap coals of fire upon their head. For therefore, vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is God's. But as we are of that household, our example is going to reflect Jesus. They're going to see Jesus Christ living through you, or they should. And therefore, that is the enemy, or the contentions, or the, the opposition, if you will. We have a long-suffering father. Do we not? We have a long-suffering God who is long-suffering for me. He's long-suffering toward you in your sins. I'm thankful He's long-suffering. We have an opportunity to turn away from our iniquities and turn back over to Him. For once we were lost, and those who have found Christ are now found. But a man's enemies will be those of his own household. We pray for our enemies. We care for our enemies. Because we don't want those of our household, our, our brothers or our sisters, our mother or our father or our siblings. We don't want to see them lost on Judgment Day. We're going to be long-suffering for them, trying to encourage them to, to no longer be our enemies. But yet our friend, in the spiritual speaking, that is. You notice what verse 38 says as well. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So we see, I didn't cover, we didn't really cover verse 37, but anyone, let's do it again. And he who loves his father or mother more than me. Is that not part of taking up our cross? Being obedient to the Father, being obedient to Christ's commands, doing the will of uh, Portraying the, the gospel to those and teaching. But how about when something of this world comes between us and our faithful service to God? He who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. That is saying, 
Well, you know what? I'm going to listen to mom and dad because I have to live here. Christ says, well, you're not worthy of me. Whenever Christ was here upon this earth and teaching, you remember what he told the young man who needed to go and bury his father? Remember that? He says, but my father is past. I need to go and bury him first, and then I'll follow him. Jesus told him, let the dead bury the dead. He was trying to get a point across to him to say, those who you're running off to are spiritually dead. You're only going to find spiritual life through me. Because the one who is dead, the one who is no longer here with us, is not worthy of your separation to God. Take notice of that. There's a lot of folks out there who are worshiping God falsely just because grandma, grandpa done it falsely. Don't follow them. Follow the instructions from God. Dive into it yourself because in doctrine faith, which is what that is, because mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, those of, uh, of my ancestry did it that way, so why, why is it good enough for me? Because they may have very well been wrong. Dive into the word yourself and find out what you're supposed to do. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And no other in that spectrum. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Two cases, right? We're going to get back to the cross. Taking up our cross. So we see father or mother being more important than Christ's instructions. We see son or daughter being more important than Christ's instructions don't let it be. Unfortunately, that happens today. That pulls us away from faithful service to God. Unfortunately, it does happen. Let's not put anything in this world above our service to God. Let's put Him first. We have to put Him first. Not only in our relationship with our family, but in the, our everyday walk of life as well in verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ? It means to quit sinning. Give those things up. Die to the world and gain Christ. There's one example of losing something and gaining something. He who finds his life We'll lose it. Finding life here upon this earth, letting it come between you and your Father, will lose your spiritual life, is what Christ just said in the beginning of this last statement in verse 39. When something here upon this earth, you find it is more important than God, well, it's more important than your salvation. Don't let it be, because you're going to hear those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a twofold statement. When you let nothing come between you and your faithful service to God, even death for my sake is the death. Lose my life for my sake. When someone says you either 
turn away from what you believe in, spiritually speaking. You turn away from that God that you believe in, or I'm going to kill you. You better let them kill you. I know that's a harsh statement. Christ just said a hard statement, did he not? This is me telling you a harsh statement. You better let them kill you. Why? Because you have put yourself, you have put your life before your faithful service to God. But what does Jesus Christ tell his disciples? He says, fear not those who kill the body. Fear not that. Yeah, that's one of those things that, well, that's uncertain. That's something that's, that's kind, of, kind of pricks our mind is that doorway, the eternal doorway of death. We all got to do it. Hebrews 9.27, for it's appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment. So when we put ourselves over our faithful service to God, you have just stepped into sin. See my point? He who loses his life for my sake. That's what Christ says. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Will find it. And that is well done, good and faithful servant on judgment day. Ain't that much better than depart from me? And that's an eternity. That, that's not just temporal. That's forever. The temporal pain and suffering that we have to endure here upon this earth, we're going to gain those things. But guess what's going to happen after judgment day? We're going to lose all that pain and suffering if you're faithful. Another example of gaining and losing. So the things that separates us from God, we need to lose those things. We need to put them on the back burner. We need to put them on the low end of the totem pole. We need to put our faithful service to God on the top. And that goes for everybody. Gaining and losing. If I was to ask you a question, which would you rather gain? Eternal life? Or eternal punishment. That's a no-brainer, Jeremy. Nobody wants to be punished at all, much less for an eternity. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Many of us know these verses by heart. So if, I, if you want to answer me, what's well, a no-brainer? I'd much rather have eternal life, not, not eternal pain and suffering. If I must make that choose to gain it, I want to gain life, not death. Which is what pain and suffering is. It's the second death. Christ offers life. So we think when we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What a weird question. Why is, why is Paul writing that? Previous to this, he says, God has more grace than there is sin in the world. Well, this question, the, the root thought of this question is, well, let's just help God out by sinning more. And since he has more grace than there is sin in the world, let's, let's make his grace more by making more sin. That's not how this works. For that's the question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, he screams it out. Certainly not. No. That's not how the Lord, that's not how we need to think. We need to remove something so as we can gain something. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now again, this was wrote to Christians. We died to sin. We lost our ability 
to live iniquitous lives. We lost it when we was immersed for the remission of sin. We realize that, right? Previous to our immersion, free to do whatever we want to because the law of God didn't even apply to us yet. We was lost. But then we came to the knowledge of the truth, putting him on, getting those instructions from God, being obedient just as the Son was obedient, letting that blood wash our sins away, or the water wash our sins away, putting the blood of Christ on. Now, at that point, we died to sin. We lost it. So we can gain Christ. You ever think of it that way? You ever think of casting sin out of your life? So that you may gain something? Uh, you ever heard the term, if you don't use it, you lose it? I know we've heard that term before. We've made mention of it here before. Another example of gaining and losing. If you stop participating, if you stop living your Christian life, you will lose your salvation. And I know there's a lot of talk out there that says, well, once saved, always saved. Well, if you return back to sin, what have you done? You have died. You have died. You have put sin back on. And you need to repent of that sin and turn away from it. Because those who are Christians died to sin. What a wonderful example of gaining and losing something. That's, that's we lose this world. Because this world is full of sin and death. To be able to gain life. To gain the thing Christ came to this earth to make available Continue in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And there's your life. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect example of a Christian life, died on the cross for your sins, and was resurrected after three days in the grave. Resurrected, right? Resurrected death, no longer having dominion over him as we continue to read. We've learned that Christ ain't going to die ever again. Ever. He is at the right hand of God right now. So if we're going to be in the likeness of his resurrection, that is, if we remain faithful, if we're wearing him on that great day, the reason why I keep calling it a great day, it's a wonderful day in my mind. There's a lot of folks out there that are going to see it as a sad day. When they hear those words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, before, for I know you not. That's kind of opposite of a happy day, is it not? In the likeness of his resurrection, we lose the world, we gain the next. That is this old place of sin and death that Satan has twisted and corrupted and defiled with sin and iniquity, which is the same thing. We want to lose that. We want, to, we want it to be gone. We should. But the next, we learn in Revelation chapter 21, when God shall wipe away all tears, we will be in the presence of God, those of his children. We will be in his presence. 
He will be there with us and He will be our God. Not these little gods that we have today. Now, when I say we, I mean people. Someone's car can be their God. Someone's couch can be their God. The lake can be someone's God. The woods can be someone's God. Anything and everything that separates us from the Almighty is your God. It's an idol. And Paul has definitely instructed in Corinthians to abstain from idols. Turn away from those things that separate you from God. Lose those things so you can gain the everlasting Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. So with the idea of gaining and losing something, to know that eternal gain awaits us. It, it waits for everyone. Eternal gain. Well, I say eternal gain. Eternity waits for everyone. Some's going to be lost. Few's going to be gained. When Paul says in Philippians, I actually skipped over that part. Let's, let's go back to Philippians. Keep your finger in Romans. Turn back to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We just covered this in Bible class. Whenever Paul understands about gaining and losing, when he realizes that when he leaves this earth, He's going to lose his opportunity to teach, which he, which he wants to do. He wants to encourage the church. He's going to lose that opportunity. But gaining something is so much better. As he's teaching, as he is faithful, as he is doing the things God would have him to do, he says this in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, to teach, to go on, to portray the gospel, but to die is gain. Heaven. Is that not much gain? That's a lot of gain, folks. We can't think of anything better than that type of gain. And I don't mean your laundry detergent, neither. So turn back with me in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. And do this, to have that mindset, or to, the, con the context here is to love your enemies and do those things as pleasing to God. Do this, knowing the, high, the time is now high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night... Is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The time is, is now. It's high time. Death is right around the corner. Christ is coming. Are you going to be that servant waiting and watching? Because that servant's blessed. Are you the servant that's going to cast off the works of darkness and the flesh and the works thereof? You're going to cast off those things? We're going to lose that mindset of sinning? Or we're going to gain? salvation. The choice is yours. To turn away from sin and to turn to God this morning is I don't see what, there is no other choice. Why not do so? If you find yourself outside of Christ and you find yourself wearing sin, what a wonderful time and opportunity to get right in the eyes of God with a repentant act 
coming to him with a holy changed heart, ready to give up your sins, to lose sin and gain salvation. Does that need to happen this morning? You may be completely dead in your sins to yet to put Christ on. Why not do that this morning? Do a baptismal act, changing your heart, starting your spiritual walk. Why wait as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation? <laughs>